Welcome to the Underwater Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of underwater portrait photography, cinematography, and everything in between. With me, your host, Brett Stanley. Welcome back to the Underwater Podcast, and this week I'm talking to Canadian photographer Megan Ogilive. Megan is a fine art photographer, and whilst based in Toronto, she travels quite extensively, creating beautiful underwater images as she goes. She's shown her work in galleries worldwide, and we talk about what that process is like, and how the pandemic has changed that landscape. Megan shares her visions of the future, and we talk about what it's like to spend a few weeks on a sailboat with other underwater artists. Alright, let's dive in. Megan, welcome to the Underwater Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? You're up in, in Toronto at the moment, right? So it's you're probably like cold. Yes, I'm freezing. I think it's minus nine today, so there's no diving right now for me. Right, and that's minus nine centigrade. Yes, yeah, it's yeah. freezing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's below freezing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you do you tend to do stuff during the winter up there? Um, usually I travel in the winter and because of COVID that's not happening. So I'm really adapting to all the winter sports. And so there's a lot of hiking and um, right. snowshoeing and yeah, tobogganing, stuff yeah. like that. So, so where would you be at this time of year? Where do you normally, do you sort of travel to the same places or are you sort of just going wherever it takes you every year? Wherever it takes me. Yeah. I like the spontaneity sort of, of it. Right. And are you are you traveling for work? Like, have you got clients you're traveling for or are you just a sort of a, a self-traveler and then sort of shooting as you go? Mostly a self-traveler, but there are opportunities that have come up for sure to travel for work. And I'm working on getting more of those after COVID, hopefully. So, But I, I love traveling. So as much as I can, I'll do it on my own dime just to experience different places, different types of water from like to the sea or the ocean or in different parts of the world I think it really helps with my underwater photography yeah I mean your photography is very it is almost kind of quite quite location based right like it, it has a very open water feel whether it's whether it's cenotes or whether it's lakes or whether it's the ocean is that something that you set out to do or is it is it just something that's evolved from you traveling it's definitely been a gradual progression because I did start photographing underwater in pools. And after I think about three or four years of that, I became a bit bored and I wanted to be challenged. So at the same time, I was starting to travel more and getting in the ocean. And so it just started to evolve within diving and then free diving. And then it just kept progressing. Right. Yeah. And what sort of time frame are we talking? Like uh, how long have you been shooting underwater for? For, it feels like a while now. It is a while since 2000. <laughs> I feel old, but since 2007, I believe. And so what started that? What was the catalyst? My dad had a disease that it was quite rare. So I was trying to find a, a project that I could work on and create images that were really aesthetically different and striking. So I could use the images to hopefully grab people's attention and talk about his disease. And so Around that time, underwater photography wasn't as accessible, I guess, as it is now, just in terms of the equipment you can you can acquire. And especially in Toronto, there there's a lot of American companies who come here to film and do movies. But when I asked around, there was no like there were no tanks. There was nowhere to really accommodate an underwater shoot in the way that I envisioned right. it. So 
And so I just did all this research and I realized I'd have to invest in an underwater housing if I wanted to do underwater images for this project for my dad. Because I felt that underwater images would be just the most um, impactful. And and yeah, so I, I literally jumped in the pool with some friends, who, friend who's a stylist and a dancer. And we just created as we went, never having experience or anything. And the images did come out striking. And I was able to use the work to talk about my dad's disease. And that first and only shoot became the catalyst to use the beauty in my work to talk about issues that are important to me. And it really was the momentum to start my career and to move it forward. That's amazing. And because your, your career has kind of involved a lot of conservation topics and, 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 and other things as well. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's mostly, um, I've tried to collaborate with a lot of conservation organizations. And also I did a project in 2015 with collaborating with Indigenous women to show and to appreciate how other cultures view water. And that was a really important, impactful time for me with my work. And just personally, I learned about water, how it's important spiritually to other cultures. And yeah. And so with that one, how did you kind of come up with that idea of joining those two things together, that, that kind of Indigenous kind of culture and water at the same time? Again, that kind of happened organically where I had been spending time just because I wanted to understand more clearly clearly our connection to nature. And so I was spending time at a an organization in Toronto and they would it was indigenous peoples and they would teach about their culture and you could sit in and and just listen and observe. And so I was doing that at the time and then I was approached about doing an exhibition for the Pan Am Games. And so the two came together and their theme was water, so it all made sense. And and one thing led to another. That's amazing. Mm-hmm, that was great. And so, what what gear did you start using when you were when you sort of started? Did was it stuff that you already had, or did you have to go and, and find stuff? Um, I definitely had to do a lot of research on the underwater housing, and I invested and purchased one. There was nothing available here in Toronto, so I just used. I think it was I don't know which. Maybe it's just the five D Canon five D, and I think I borrowed half of the money from a boyfriend at the time and I paid him back. And so I was able to purchase it. And yeah, that was very helpful. And, and then just experiment with it from there. So how, how hard did you find the learning curve? Was it, was it something that you were, did you like the challenge of it or was it, was it more kind of, I need to do this to get the result that I'm after? I absolutely loved the challenge of it. I like being very active. So it was a way for me to move around a lot in a new way, you know, just moving so, I don't know, I don't say that I move eloquently, but like just following along with the model moving in a very streamlined way and having a rhythm with them was something that I really, I never experienced before. So it was, I became quite addicted to that and yeah. just being outside and and really using the elements to create the work. I really love doing that. Right. Yeah. And what sort of people are you working with? Because you said your first person was, I think, was a dancer. Did have you kind of stuck with that sort of sort of technique with with your other models and your in your other talent? For the most part, yes. Just for their obviously their ability to to really have control of their body. But I've I've worked. I like working with really anyone. I think anyone can. Once anyone's in water, they do become just more free and relaxed. So I've worked with non-dancers and but for the majority of my work it's athletes or dancers and and what are you doing to to prepare them for it uh, have they done underwater stuff before or is this new to them as well a lot of the time it is new for them so usually we take like 
about 15, 20 minutes to just get in the water together and just, you know, get a sense of it, see like how we how we work together, how they how they move underwater, and then and then we go from there. But it depends right. too. If it's if I'm if I'm setting up a shot and it's that kind of environment, then there is like a lot of back and forth. But if um, I'm just in the ocean and I'm I'm following someone, I'm documenting it, which I think I prefer doing now this time in my career. Then then I'm I'm really I'm just trying to keep up and like anticipate movements and directions and motions and light and everything yeah because i think your your kind of more recent work has a little kind of editorial documentarian style mm-hmm. to it as opposed to something that's been crafted would you feel that way yes i definitely i think in the beginning the aesthetic for me was really important in terms of the styling and and all of that but over time especially after working with and collaborating with the indigenous women it became more about stripping away a lot of the aesthetics and or the the styling and and getting more into a raw place and and that's that's what I think I prefer is just observing and and rather than using I think also in my work I use one image as escapism and the stories in the one image and now I'm more interested and focused on creating a series of images and storytelling in that way. Yeah. And you tend to use quite a lot of black and white, like monochrome. Is that, is that something that you're thinking about while you're shooting or is that a very much a post-production kind of decision? I think it might, for me, I think it's both. It depends on where I am, what I'm doing, uh, what, what the light is like. But I, I think I'm coming out of that now. I'm not sure, but I have right. to say that I spent some time with 27 millimeter Enric Genet from he's on Instagram and obviously and Alex Voyer and Marianne Aventurier on their sailboat on Diatome. And on that trip, um, I learned a lot. And I think that's where things for me started to shift a bit. And they had both their styles and the way that they work both influenced me in a way. So I think after that point in 2018, I believe, is when my work started becoming a little bit more editorial and somewhat graphic and yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so were you influenced by those guys on the boat as well? Or was it just the experience of, of, of that trip that kind of changed you a little bit? Oh, it was definitely all of it. Yeah. That trip definitely, it changed my perspective on life, like what was important to me and just being on the ocean. I mean, and seeing how like Enric, he, he lives by the ocean, he's in the ocean every day. That is, that's how he creates his work. He's constantly immersed, literally immersed in his work. And Alex and Marianne, they, they've dedicated, they've made big choices and dedicated their life to being on the water by buying a sailboat, which they were fortunate to do. And so that really inspired me to really look at my life and if what I wanted to do and how much more dedicated I want to be to uh, underwater photography and enhancing my skills and and also obviously aesthetically it just I didn't even know it was happening but I I was definitely influenced especially by Enric right. I only realized yeah. it now looking back it's interesting that sort of thing isn't it where you've kind of picked something up by osmosis of, of just being around someone or well being exposed to their work and it's not until you kind of look back and go oh wow that's like a yeah you know, like a, a benchmark that I've kind of mm. put in there yeah. So how did that trip come about? Were, were you friends with those guys uh, beforehand or was it something that was organized just sort of through Instagram? Yeah, I think it, it it originally came from social media. So Alex and I had just been messaging and like 
learning from each other and just keeping in touch. It was probably a couple of years. And and then he was talking about plans of getting the sailboat and how he wanted to bring artists on it and how he would love the opportunity if I came. And, and so it all worked out. And I mean, I didn't really know these people. So it was, you know, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a chance, but it really worked out. Yeah. And they're some of my favorite people. I hold them really dear to my heart. So it was a great experience. That's amazing. I, I kind of, you know, you kind of hear about artist retreats and stuff where artists kind of, you know, go, go rent a cabin in the woods or something and go and, and, and kind of create together. Right. I hadn't really heard about that in terms of the underwater stuff, you know, of, of getting on a boat and like helping each other evolve, I guess. Yes, exactly. That's beautiful. How long was the trip for? It was in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and it was about two weeks. And later I joined them again uh, in right before the pandemic started. But in, two, in February 2020, I was in Panama with them around Bocas del Toro and the islands around there. So, that, uh, yeah. Great. Are they places that you've been to before? I mean, for me, looking at work, it's it's hard to tell where everything is. Like it's uh, it's not as as it's, the location's not baked into the image. If you know what I mean. Like some mm-hmm. people, I can look at and go, "Oh, that's definitely the Bahamas." Whereas your work has a little bit more of mystery to it. Is that something you'd like to do as well, or do, is it is it just how it happens? Um, I think it's just how it happens and how my style has evolved. I mean. I really love landscapes and just like showing more of an environment. And I have, I think in the past, I guess I just haven't shown it. It's interesting. But I I think my focus has been mostly on the people connected to the environments. And so the focus is more on on them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, because the difference between you and say someone that, you know, does is like a free diving kind of photographer, I feel you're pushing in a lot closer into the subject as opposed to having the subject as part of the landscape. Yes, for sure. I mean, there have been times where I think mostly in Tulum, just because the cenotes, for me, the landscapes are very interesting. So there were a lot of shots that I did there where there was more, I was pulled back further and there was more of a wide shot. But yeah, I think I think it might change though. <laughs> My work is definitely changing right now. So I think I'm I think I'm more interested in the environments now where the person is less of the the primary subject. Oh, that's interesting. So you're going back the other way now. I think so, yeah. Shifting. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you kind of know why that's happening or is it is it just something that is just within you it's just organically happening or is it a, is there a conscious decision to do that? I think it's both. I think I I think when I feel I've kind of exhausted something or I've reached a point where I I just need to be challenged again, then I mean, now that my, you know what, also, I just realized as we're talking, but (laughs) if my free diving skills and my diving skills were stronger, then maybe I would have, you know, pulled back and been more comfortable to stand or longer and get more landscape. So maybe it's an effect of that. And now that my skills are getting stronger, then I'll be able to create different type of work that will show that, you know, I'm, I'm under for longer and I'm in more in control. And that's really interesting. Like I think underwater and, and maybe like sports photography in terms of like, you know, like climbing or high alpine stuff is really dependent on your physical skills. Right. You know, I think it's, it's interesting how much that affects the, the end result and how much it affects the, uh, the aesthetic of the final image. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, there's definitely, uh, I think I've been frustrated in, in the past, especially being on the sailboat with Alex, Marianne and Enric. They were able to go so deep and I was, I was down like maybe five meters. And so it was a bit frustrating for me. And I think that having that experience with them did inspire me to take it more seriously, take my skills more seriously and become a better freediver and scuba diver. So I think it's just been, yeah, a conscious thing. And also it's just like an organic, if I want to create different kind of work or, or more complex work, then I, I need to get the skills to do it. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point. And, and I think also the thing that I think you mentioned before is that sometimes you don't know you've evolved until you look back and see it in your work and you go, Oh wow, things are starting to change. I hadn't even really noticed because you're so in the moment that you're not, you're not really seeing it. Like it's the forest for the trees, but, but a little bit further down the road, you look back and then you can see that kind of shift. Your, your work also has a very film-like aesthetic. It's, it looks like it's been shot on 35 millimeter. Is, is that something that you've consciously done from the beginning or had you started on film and sort of brought that aesthetic into your digital work? I think I like the look of it. I do like the look of it. And I did start on film. So I, I was actually, I went to college uh, for photography and it was an advertising program. So at that time, it was a long time ago, but at that time we were, <laughs> we were learning, still learning on four by five um, right. film cameras. So it was, you know, the old school, you really have to focus on pre-visualizing your shot and making sure that you don't waste money on that one four by five film piece of sheet yeah. film. And so I do come from that background and I do miss it a lot. And mo more recently during the, this pandemic and the, having time to reflect and, and see where I want to go with my work in the future, I do see how much I miss a more tactile experience and taking more time in, in setting up a shot. So I think that this, that will also be something that's translating into my, my new work. But in the past, I guess, couple of years, I have really been drawn to that aesthetic again. Right. I don't shoot, I shoot mostly digital underwater, but I've been yeah. shooting more on film on land. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. And then are you, are you, are you processing that yourself on land or are you sending it off to a lab? At the moment, I'm sending it off to a lab, but I would like to process it and also get into platinum palladium printing and getting my hands like right in there. Yeah. Getting more manual process. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that side of things. Like I come from a, from a dark room background, Yeah. but I have to say like, if, if I was still doing that, I, I am so lazy that <laughs> I don't think I would be a photographer anymore because <laughs> the amount of work that goes into that, it's just incredible. And I don't think people realize how, how much work would go into creating the final print back oh, yeah. then or still like with that sort of, with that sort of process and even talking about plates and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's so much work. You definitely need patience, which I think personally I've, I've just stopped taking the time sometimes to really figure out what I want to do. I just kind of get into it and I, and I just, I move with it kind of intuitively, which I like, but I would kind of like to set things up too and think about the actual print in the end, right? Like think about how will, how am I shooting now? How is that going to affect the way that I present it in the end? Right. And are you thinking about things like paper stock and, and the, the, the inks and, and all that sort of stuff as well now? Yeah. Yeah. Like with the platinum palladium, I've been doing a lot of research about 
the chemicals, what types of paper to use, and also using liquid light, which is a way of basically painting an emulsion on any kind of surface, like anything. And and then in the darkroom, you can then project your your negative onto that surface that you've coated in in the emulsion, and then and then you have your print. But it can be literally on anything, like a rock and I'm really looking forward to that kind of experimentation as well. I love that because it's kind of mixed medium already because you're you're basically projecting your image onto a medium that is not flat right. and you're, you're probably going to get, you know, a very different distorted kind of effect, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I do remember hearing about liquid light back in when I was doing darkroom stuff 15, 20 years ago <laughs> and I never got to work with it, but it was always something that I was like, oh, well, that would be amazing. Like if you had like pottery or, you know, anything yeah. that this would stick to and then it basically uh, kind of develops the, the image on it. It's, it's a very cool idea. Yeah, and I'm just wondering like how how taking underwater images maybe with film and doing, going through that whole process with it, like how different that would be and I don't know. If I would, if I would prefer it, I don't know. I'm gonna try yeah, it out. That sounds great. And do you like the idea of of kind of not knowing what you're gonna get? Like, do you like that sort of like unknown, or are you or are you someone who who sort of plans every step of the way? My process is definitely more intuitive. So I just I like the unknown. I like spawn being spontaneous. I think that's why I like shooting outside and in the ocean. And obviously, I have an understanding over time of how light will interact with people and and the surface and everything, but I like to be surprised. And, and I think some of the most, some of my best images have come from, from that, from either like mistakes, I've set out to do something and it's turned out a different way or, or just like working with someone and letting that and myself not have too many parameters and, and, and just work together in a more organic way. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, you've done gallery shows and, and had your work, shown what was that process like was that something that you kind of pushed for from your end or were galleries coming to you and kind of offering to show your work um I definitely pushed for it in the beginning so when I graduated from the photography program that I said was advertising based I realized quickly when I graduated that I was definitely more of an artist so and not so commercial so I didn't know how to get into the art world in Toronto in particular and so I started doing art fairs and that that really gave me a lot of good experience and exposure and from there I I think I did that for maybe like eight years and then from there then the galleries started noticing my work and and then the opportunity for the to create the exhibition for the Pan Am Games that also came from exposing my work through the the art fairs and and really like one thing just kind of led to another and it grew and then like getting international exposure also helped. So through competitions and showing my work. So it all, it all kind of just like seeded into different places on its own after I put my, my, my work out there in the beginning. How, do you like the gallery side of things? Cause I mean, it is such an, in, an investment in time and, and money to sort of get all these, these things printed and, and up on the walls. Do you feel like you're sort of putting yourself on display for for feedback and criticism, or are you, are you do you like that kind of interface with the public? That's a good question <laughs> because it's a very vulnerable <laughs> position to be in. And when I first showed my work, the very first year, I got a lot of criticism. It wasn't underwater work; it was 
a different kind of work. And I got a lot of criticism and it was, it was hard, but I, I tried to take that criticism and learn from it. And, and that's the attitude I've kind of had the whole way. So I don't, obviously no one wants to, after you've worked really hard on something and now you're exposing it to everyone, no one wants to hear hurtful things, but I just have to remember that everyone has their opinion and whatever people take from it, they will take from it. So I think that it's like, it's a nice opportunity to, to share work. And especially like my work usually has a message behind it. So if I have the opportunity to share it and I can have conversations with people one-on-one rather than through a gallery, like have that barrier of a gallery. That's why I did the art fairs too, because I was one-on-one with people. And I really liked, I actually, in the end, I really liked that having those conversations and being able to express my work one-on-one with people, the public. Did you find that it sort of gave you a bit of a a thicker skin as well, that you could process that that kind of feedback and make it into a good thing rather than sort of just feeling kind of hurt by it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, some years... I would sell everything in some years I wouldn't sell anything. So it did, it did hurt my ego, but you know, whatever it, I mean, I, I did build a thicker skin to learn from it and, and, and it, it's helped. It's really helped me just in all aspects of my life, really just to, to be in that kind of vulnerable place, but then do my best to use that to move forward and to make better work or to take on bigger challenges because without yeah. those experiences, I wouldn't have been able to. No, I, and I think that's a, it's a good good kind of point as well. And I've, and I've had a few other guests kind of say the same thing is that, you know, if everyone tells you your work is amazing, you never grow. You know, yeah. you need the people to kind of go, well, you know, this could be better or I don't like this, you know, for you to then kind of process that, work out if that's even helpful to you, mm-hmm. but then turn it into something good. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting to hear people's perspectives everyone comes from a different place and have their has their own experiences so it's interesting to hear why they like or dislike something well i think that that's a good point too and and what i find in this whole social media kind of age that we live in is that when you post something online most of it 95% of the feedback you get is one word or two words you know it's like oh this is amazing or i love this or great or you know meh or whatever right but you never find out why and I always want to know the why. Like I, uh, I'm in a few kind of Facebook groups for for underwater photographers, and I'm and I'm trying to start this kind of groundswell, I guess, of don't just say one word, say mm-hmm. something particular about the image. You know, why do you like it? Why don't you like it? Because it, everything else is not really helpful. It doesn't help you yeah. kind of grow. No, that's good. You know what? Like I do. Yeah, I find social media is great for so many reasons, but I think we do lack sometimes genuine contact with it. And yeah. yeah, it would be helpful. I mean, now that you said that, I'm going to think about when I comment on people's pictures, about being more, being more honest and more and explain more why I like it. I probably won't say why I dislike it. Cause I usually, <laughs> usually like something and then comment. Yeah. You don't, you don't comment if you don't like it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to do it myself and I find myself, you know, I slip back into the, to the one word, kind of responses a lot just because social media is so short attention span and it's so flippant. But I do, when I see someone's work, then I really want them to understand why I liked that thing or why I think I didn't like this thing. Not not that it's bad, but I, I thought this could be better in my opinion, you know, from mm-hmm. my point of view. And everyone's point of view is different. No one can please everyone. You can't 
not everyone's going to like your work. No, no. Are you doing online prints and stuff as well? Like, are you selling work outside of galleries? Yes. So actually, I'm not, this is the whole thing, but I'm not represented by a gallery and I never have. And I made that choice. I mean, that might change at this point, but I've, I made that choice earlier on because the people who had been doing it for quite a while that I was looking up to, or they were just within my circles, I just felt that they weren't getting the uh, support or the proper attention that their work needed in order to sell. Like you're almost like the big thing for a bit of time and then you're not. And so I just felt that I could probably, I'm fine with working hard, as hard as I can. So I was fine with trying my best to get my work out there and and try to do it myself. I mean, that, I think that was very difficult, but it worked out in certain ways and, and not in others. But I do sell my work on my own. So people will usually just find me from my website and then contact me. Or I have art consultants that I check in with constantly, not constantly, but on occasion. And then there's different avenues to take to to connect with people and organizations to sell your work. Right. What What do you kind of, if someone was getting into to selling their work now, what's, what advice would you give them? What, what sort of path would you recommend? It's very different now. So I'm still, I'm actually researching and trying to understand at this point. And COVID is also changing everything. Oh. The way that our galleries work and everyone's gone online now and most, and with social media, a lot of artists are selling their work themselves. And so the whole dynamic of the art world is changing. Prices are dropping. Like there's just a whole different change in it. So if they're starting out, I would say, see what other artists are doing just to get a sense of how many years they've been doing it, what's their track record, how much they're charging for that, and yeah. what kind of clients that they have, if like where you want to target your work and and see again what price point that surrounds. But from the more like artsy art world of it, your credentials are really important. So the if you do artist residencies, if you do exhibitions, like all that kind of thing, it really encompasses and supports your track record and where you are in your career and and how much you can sell your work for and all that kind of thing. So I think just doing research and seeing what other artists are doing would be a good way to start and see what your target what you want your target market to be. If it's just people on social media then that is different than wanting to get like art collectors and work with art consultants and stuff like that. I mean the two can merge but there yeah. is a difference between the two worlds as of right now. Might right. change. Yeah. Uh, so, are you doing any education stuff? Are you, are you running any workshops or anything? Or are you are you more kind of more concentrating on your own work? Um, right now, I'm concentrating on my own work. I feel I have a lot more to learn before I start teaching, and I do have I do have plans and dreams of eventually, maybe within the next five to ten years, maybe longer. I'm not sure, but purchase a sailboat or a boat and bring kind of like what Dia Tome is doing, but maybe more locally here in, in Toronto for the, the beginning and bring youth on the boat to just teach them, help, help give them a better connection to water. And so they can, because yeah. there's lots of kids in or youth. I think there's a liability if you bring actually like very young children onto boats. So if they're right, yeah. a little bit older, it might be better, <laughs> but just trying to like 
take them from areas where there's like literally no water and then bring them to water and hopefully help them have like a good relationship with swimming, with learning about the species and maybe creating things together with them so that they can have a more of appreciation. And I think if that happens, then in the future, like who knows if their professional career will then have something to do with protecting water or they'll maybe think twice about polluting. I just think that if it starts, a connection starts younger, then it might be, might be better. So that's a goal of mine is to create a program or something like that to help have a better connection for the kids. Right. So, so not, not, necessarily about underwater photography but but just about water in general and, and having a relationship with it outside of that. I think so yeah I mean it may turn yeah. into underwater photography but we'll see. Yeah that's really nice I think that's that's beautiful and and speaking to other people and, and in other parts of this industry as well I feel like the whole conservation side of things kind of needs to come from that early age you know creating that relationship with the ocean and with water and and as water becomes more scarce I think that's going to be the, you know, the hot commodity in the, yeah. in the next coming decades. You know, water is going to be more precious than gold. Yeah. Yeah. When I was collaborating with the Indigenous women, like that was, that was a lot of what we spoke about and what we understood. And it was, it was really when I changed my perspective on everything and I really wanted to use my work in whatever way I could to help bring awareness or to educate I'm still working on how to do that like I think the beauty and work can bring attention and start conversations and everything but I'm I'm going to be doing an underwater cinematography course when all of this opens up again and in Australia and I would really like to use that skill to to do documentaries and 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 really get into it further um like i'm taking advanced diving course first rescue diving course and then just really getting comfortable with scuba and then going to this course hopefully in early 2022 and getting the skills and then starting my new path yeah you're kind of spending a lot of time now upskilling so you're, you're bringing yourself up to another level so that you can do these these projects that you want to do that's great i think that's a, a great use of of the covid pandemic I think a lot of people are going to come out of this pandemic way more skilled than they went in. Which oh, is yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Really good bread makers. Everyone's making bread. <laughs> but there's, yeah, oh, there's yeah. lots Banana of- Banana bread, <laughs> French bread, sourdough, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> are you doing much commercial work? Like are you kind of working for brands or are you, are you selling your images to brands to be used for, for commercial stuff? Funny you ask, Brett, because that's the direction. That's another direction that I'm really pushing in the next couple of months because I my background is commercial. And although I went the art route, now I'm at a point in my life where and my career where if I can also create commercial work, obviously it helps financially, then that will help me work towards all of these things that I aspire to do to help me and help support them. So I'm within Toronto, yeah, there's some brands that I'm I've been approaching and more like lifestyle, sports, that kind of realm of things because of the work that I've done has been within that context. Yeah, I was going to say, because a lot of the work I'm seeing is, you know, it has that editorial sport side of things, you know, but it's it's not, but it's still got the artistic side of it. It's not like a, a document. It's still got some creativity to it. It's, it's really nice. Mm-hmm, thank you. Was water for you, was that something that you kind of grew up with? Was was Did you have a fascination for it or did it really just start with... With when you wanted to do that project for your father? 
Oh no, water's been such a huge part of my life ever since I was quite young. It was one of my happiest places to be. Like during the summers, my family would rent cottages. We go to our friends' cottages and we spend time on the lakes. And I was definitely a water baby where my mom would be yelling at me to come in and yeah, <laughs> pretend I didn't yeah. hear her. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you can't hear underwater, so, you know. No, I can't hear at all. And I come in and my lips would be blue, but I, <laughs> I could have stayed out longer. So yeah. I, definitely, I definitely always loved water. And, and my dad did too. So that was also kind of an important connection with that that series. I don't think I really explained that well, but my dad and I like good memories that we shared were surrounding water. So it was a good, it was a good subject to work with. Yeah. And, and had you kind of thought about doing underwater before that project or was it, was it just something that that sort of came up then that that was the light bulb moment? It just came up then, but it was also around the time of, so when I was thinking of what, what could I use as a subject matter what kind of environment could I shoot in to make it very different or like really striking? And around the same time, that movie 300 came out. Do you remember that yep. movie? Yeah, it's a Sparta. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and they had shot it in, at least at that time for me, it seemed like a very new way where they would like speed it up, slow it down in editing. And then there was that scene with the Oracle. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, the Oracle's kind of floating in in the air. and Yeah, and I saw her movement and it was obviously very ethereal and beautiful and she's kind of suspended there and it was really captivating. And so that I think stuck in my head a bit. And so when I was researching on what to do I think that kept popping in and I realized that they had shot it in water and so then that kind of led so I was inspired by that that was pretty important visual to see for me yeah so so the visual of it not not so much the idea that they're in water but the effect that the water gave you're not the first person to tell me this really that that yeah that oracle scene I think has changed a few people's lives Oh, wow. No, I'm glad that other people were inspired because it was, at the time, it was like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. I remember that that movie, Sparta. And yeah, as you say, it was that that effect that they were doing with the the kind of the the speed up and then slow down to ultra slow. And yeah. it was, yeah, kind of groundbreaking. It was, yeah, really inspiring. Well, I mean, with that sort of stuff in mind, are you, where do you find inspiration? Are you getting inspiration from from movies like that? Or what sort of sources are you using to get inspired and motivated? It's also a good question because, I mean, definitely it comes from social media because we're, we, we're inundated every day, right? We see so much of whatever we want to see, really. But I'm starting to take more breaks from it because – I'm finding I would like, as inspired as I am on there, I'm seeing a lot of repetition. So I'm trying to reach outside in like real life and take on inspiration from there. And that could mean going to see, I mean, it's hard with COVID too, but like going for a walk in a place I haven't been before in nature, like nature is my biggest inspiration. And just watching the light in a place that I've been so many times, but seeing how it changes that place at, at different times or I mean, music is a huge one. When I listen to music, I'm always searching for new music. And when I listen to music, I get immediate visuals. So I really, I really just like sitting and listening and, and just visualizing. And, and I mean, inspiration for me does come from everywhere, from architecture, 
from something I've read, seen compassion in people. Like it's just so many different places, but I'm trying to find it more so now outside of social media, just to broaden it a bit, I think. I think that's great though. I mean, because when when people sort of think of inspiration, I think they think of, you know, like specific visual things, but having, you know, the the music kind of transport you to somewhere else. And so you're being inspired by some music and then that's creating visuals in your head. I think, you know, the people forget about that sort of inspiration. Yeah. I, I highly recommend. I did an interview a while ago and someone asked me like, what's, do you have any advice for people starting out or something? And I actually said at the time I really felt it like maybe like step back from social media for a bit and just, and just try to find like, get out there in the world and during COVID it's hard, obviously, but like just get out in your neighborhood and even, and just kind of observe and pay attention to things. Yeah. It's interesting how I could do a whole podcast on inspiration, but you know, like with, with things like social media and Instagram and, you know, the explore tab and you end up kind of as visual artists, we look at other visual things and get inspired by them. But I think it's not as distilled as something that's been germinated inside your own imagination. You know, like I'll read a line in a book and just the way those five words went together will spark something in me, which, you know, is that whole Pandora's box of, oh, wow, I could do this. And I feel like there's, there's, a, there's a rush with that. There's a, there's a beauty or a purity with that that hasn't been visually entered into your brain, oh, but yeah. it's come from inside you. It's exciting. I like live for those moments where you feel that rush of creativity. And, yeah. Yeah. And you just want to create. And it's usually like three o'clock in the morning and you just can't do anything about it. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so true. Or you're just like stepping out of the shower. You don't have a pen and paper. You got nothing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's when I kind of, the you know, I get antsy. You know, I kind of get frustrated because I just want to do this thing now. I remember years ago I was traveling in India and I was in the middle of nowhere. And this was kind of, you know, the, the, the age of internet cafes and all that sort of stuff. And I had all these ideas while I was out in the middle of nowhere and I could, all I wanted to do was go home and create them. But I just had to kind of, you know, squirrel them away and hope that I could remember what they were about, you know, weeks later when I came back. Do you find that when that happens, do you remember them? Because I find it's hard. It's hard to like get that initial gut feeling. No, it's, it's like when you wake from a dream, you know, the instant you wake up, it's so clear as a bell. But minutes later, it's kind of this distant echo. You know, yeah. I kind of, I feel like it's all wrapped up in the the emotion you have when you have that idea. That's what kind of, you know, that's the groundswell. That's what pushes you along. And then later on, you're kind of like, yeah, I guess that was a good idea, but I don't know. That's so true. Yeah. It's interesting. And I, I <laughs> there was someone on Facebook the other day who said, imagine how many great works of art are sitting in photographers reject file folders. You know, oh just because they didn't like it that day, it it's got rejected. So, so much artwork. Do you ever go back in your old work and 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 discover things again? Because like the way you see things will be different, and maybe you're, you have a different mood. Absolutely, yeah. I look back at stuff, and you know, now I've learned different skills in terms of editing and and mm-hmm. composition and stuff. And I go back and look at work and go, oh wow, I could have I could have totally used this for something else, or. Because I think, especially with the final result of, you know, editing and depending on where, you know, regardless of how much retouch work you do, how you feel about an image is is determined by your mood at that time. So if yeah. you're 
you know, if you're angry and you're, you're selecting images, that's going to change depending on if you're in love, you know, like it's going to change everything. So everything's subjective. Yeah. So I think there's so much work that we've missed because we're in the wrong mood. It's true. Yep. It's kind of sad to think about it though. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But I mean, it's good. To, it, it's hard sometimes when I find like when I've worked on a project, I'm ready for the next thing. I'm ready to move on. And so it's easy to just like push everything away because I'm always eager to keep going and moving forward. But yeah. sometimes it's it's good to really get immensely into something before you move on. Oh, yeah. I find myself envious of these artists like sculptors and painters and all this sort of stuff who spend years on one thing. Like yeah. I just – I couldn't my, – my attention span is too short. But I, I – <laughs> look at some of my work and go, well, you probably should have spent a couple more minutes on that, you know, because <laughs> it might have actually been a lot better. But but these people who just will not release it something until they think it is absolutely perfect. Oh, yeah. I admire that. Yes, they do have trouble. I have a lot of painter friends. They do have trouble with letting it go where they will just add another brush stroke. Yeah. They'll come back to it and they just, it will never end. So they, yeah, they have trouble with letting it go, I think. I guess that, that would be a thing too where you've, you've kind of touched it up or played with it too much and then you've gone past where you, where you wanted to be and yes. you've kind of, yeah, overshot the mark. That's very interesting. Megan, this has been amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, no problem. It's been Thank great. you. Enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for this. Oh, anytime. Yeah, and, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing your work on, online and um, I look forward to seeing where you evolve. Thank you. I can't wait to get going on it when things open up again. <laughs> I know. Well, we will speak to you soon and see what you've been up to. Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. And as always, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share. If you'd like to support the production of these episodes, you can purchase our very cool merchandise at theunderwaterpodcast.com. We've got branded coffee mugs, stickers, beer cozies, and posters featuring our amazing illustration and logo by Joe Hodano. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our guests, you can reach us at theunderwaterpodcast.com or on Instagram. We also have a Facebook group where you can discuss the episodes and even get your questions answered by the guests. There's a link to it in the show notes. You can learn more about my underwater photography workshops and mentoring at brettstanley.com or brettsphoto on Instagram. The Underwater Podcast is presented and produced by me, Brett Stanley, and our music is Neo by Oh Boy. Keep creating, everyone. I'll see you in the water.